Morning, church. It's great to be here this morning, singing praises to our God. And a few new faces, welcome. My name's Brendan. Um, I'm part of the, the core team here at Sovereign Grace that helps Dave lead the church. And we're just so, so blessed to have you. Thanks so much for coming to visit us. Um, I trust you feel welcome. Um, we're in the middle of a series on John. If you're new and visiting us, you might not be aware. We're up to John chapter 14. And actually, chapter 14 through to 16 is part of uh, the upper room discourse. It's this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples before he goes and dies on the cross for us. And this chapter 14 through to 16 is also really important because it's the biggest, the biggest sustained teaching on the Holy Spirit in all of the Gospels. And it's by Jesus himself. So we're going to be looking at that. But before we do that, um, why don't we read and then I'll pray. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 12 and we're going to read through to the end of the chapter. John chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. 
Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as my Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let's go from here. Let's pray. Lord God, merciful Father, we want to thank you afresh this morning for the privilege of coming together around your word. Lord, I just ask, Lord, today that these folks, these people, that they wouldn't be impressed with me. No, Lord, forbid that people would be impressed with me, Lord. May people be impressed this morning with Christ, Lord. May you speak to us by the power of your spirit, Lord, that we might see you, your son, lifted up our mighty king who died in our place. And may he get the glory this morning. And we pray this in his mighty name. Amen. Well, 1999, um, for me, was a special year because... 1999, I was still at high school, but uh, my favorite all-time film, The Matrix, um, was released. And I think it's a great film. Wachowski brothers, I love their work. It's this combination of like kung fu, Hong Kong kung fu, with like science fantasy, and it had amazing special effects, won four Academy Awards. And it felt like just like every guy in the whole world was to every girl trying to impress them with their like slow down, stop, you know, dodging bullets move. Like it was just such an amazing film. And I think it really has a lasting impact. But I just thought I would start this point. I really want to take you there. So I want to take you to the Matrix. Um, it's about this ordinary guy, Neo, who, who things are happening in his life. He's confused. He doesn't know what's going on. And he has this, this amazing um, meeting with this this character Morpheus, and this is a classic scene, and I just want to read you a bit from it. And Morpheus says, It's that feeling you have had all your life, that feeling that something was wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad, driving you to me. But what is it? The matrix is everywhere. It's all around us. Here, even in this room, you can see it out your window or on your television. You feel it when you go to work or to church or pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. And then those famous lines. You take the blue pill and the story ends. You wake up in your bed and you believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill and you stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. And we know what happens next, right? For most of us, at least. Neo takes that red pill and he wakes up and he realizes that the world that he imagined it was is just a fantasy world. Humans 
uh, under the control of robots who rule the world and they're milking them for their energy and, and it's just chaos and there's this computer thing and everyone's believing that the world is real and it's going on, but it's not, it's all a lie. And the thing that I love about the Matrix is, and the thing that I think is so relevant to this is that Neo has to wake up and realize the way things really are. Well, how's that relevant to anything? Well, we live in a world that believes that stuff, physical stuff, is all there is. There's nothing more. And if you believe that there's such a thing as a spirit, our world laughs in your face. You are a fool. I mean, just three days ago, just three days ago, uh, it was reported that um, a really amazing result from the Large Hadron Collider in Europe um, that they think they might have tentatively, they're saying tentatively, have proved the existence of the Higgs boson, one of the missing factors in our understanding of the way things are. But popularly, the Higgs boson, what's it known as? The God particle, that last remaining thing that we need to understand how everything works and therefore God doesn't even matter. But you see, even though the world believes that stuff is all there is, the Bible paints a very different picture of what is real. According to the Bible, true reality is spiritual. Ultimate reality is, in fact, spiritual. Our God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to be looking at, in fact, the Holy Spirit. I've I've titled this message, He Who Dwells in You, the personal work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at just four aspects of the Holy Spirit that we see in this chapter in the book of John. But I guess as we look at these four aspects of the Holy Spirit, as we look at the work of the Spirit, really there's just one hope that I have in it, and that is that you might see the work of the Holy Spirit in you and in this church, that you might see the work of the Holy Spirit in you and in this church, that you might see ultimate reality, that you might see things as they really are, and that is that there is a Spirit that is at work in you. Well, four points. We're going to spend most of the time on the first two. We're just going to briefly look at the last two. Four points. Well, let's start with the first point. The first point, and I'll get you opening your Bibles, is the Spirit unites us to Christ. The Spirit unites us to Christ. Why don't you read with me from verse 12. Truly, truly... I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. These what? Greater works than these, Jesus? I mean, this is Jesus who's raised the dead, who's going to raise himself back from the dead, and we're going to do greater works than these? How is this possible? Because I'm going to the Father. So there's... Something about him going to the Father, about Jesus going to the Father that is going to lead us to be able to do greater works than what Christ did. How on earth is this possible? How on earth can we do greater works than what Christ did? Well, I want to hold, I'll give you to hold that question because we're going, to, we're going to come back to it a bit later on. Read with me verse 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
whatever you ask in my name, I would do it. Jesus, is this like a, a, like a license to ask for anything? I mean, can I just ask for anything at all and you're going to do it? Is this what you're saying, Jesus? Well, two points quickly on this. Firstly, Jesus says, anything you ask in my name. In my name means, on my behalf means, my will aligned with yours. But secondly, also, this is a classic way, an ancient way of emphasizing a central point. We call it a chiasm. You have two bits of information that are the same, and you have a central point that you're really trying to drive home. One central point. And so Jesus twice says, whatever you do or anything you ask in my name, I will do it. And then the central point, the purpose of it all is this. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So Jesus will do anything you ask him for the purpose of glorifying his Father in his life. Let's read on. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Another helper. The word is paraclete. It means encourager. It means someone who acts on behalf. It means helper. It means intercessor. It means something like, I mean, what um, Nikki was just sharing with us. A helper. A special helper. The Holy Spirit. But it's not just a helper. Read on. He says, to be with you forever. So Jesus is promising us the Holy Spirit, a helper, will come for a permanent change. He will come and he will never leave. He will be with us forever. Let's keep going. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot see, because it neither sees him. The word there is the same word as what we get theory from. It means to observe, to look on. And I think so often we think in our day and age, like, when, when people are so skeptical, when people disbelieve in the work of the Spirit in our age, they say, you know, if, if you want me to believe in this Spirit of yours, show me evidence. How can I observe Him? Give me tangible proof that He exists. And we think this is a unique problem of ours, but it's the same, same situation. 2,000 years ago with Christ, He says, the world doesn't re- receive or accept, it cannot accept the Spirit because it doesn't see Him, doesn't perceive Him, doesn't observe Him, and it doesn't know Him. The same situation. 2,000 years ago is us, but Jesus then, us now, it's the same. Well, let's keep reading. But no, this is not for you. You know him, Jesus says, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Jesus says, you know, the world doesn't know him, but this is not the case for you. You're, you're, you're different. He's with you, but, but more than that, he will be in you. There's coming a time when he will... Dwell in you. This is union with Christ. This is the indwelling of the Spirit. This is the Spirit permanently abiding in their hearts. Jesus is saying, I'm sending the Spirit to you. I'm sending the Spirit to you. And you can well imagine them asking, yes, Lord, but but what about you? What's going to happen to you? And Jesus says, in verse 18, he says, well, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to come again. Well, Jesus, how will you come? Verse 19. Read with me. He says, 
Yet a little while and the world will see me no longer. But you will see me because I live. You will also live. Soon the world won't see me anymore. Well, why Jesus? Well, verse 2, verse 4, verse 12, verse 28. Jesus is saying time and time again, I'm going to the Father. He's talking about his ascension. He's talking about going back to be with his Father. But you will see me still, even though I've ascended. How? Well, he says, because I live, you also will live. Or because I live, and another way of saying it, you will live. So there's something Jesus saying about my resurrection, about me being made alive, and, and you also being made alive, that means that you will be able to see me, even though I've ascended. Even when the world can't see me anymore, you will see me. How is this the case? Let's keep reading. Verse 20. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. How will they see Christ, even though he's ascended to heaven? Union with Christ. On that day you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. This is joining with Christ. This is union with Christ. This is that God of the universe who made the world and everything in it. Yet, as Mark shared, we rebelled against him. We chose the opposite. We said, even though you say in your word that reject me and you will die without me, you cannot live. I want to live for myself. I reject your ways, Lord. I want to live for me. Our forefathers said this, and we've been living that way ever since we've rejected the Lord. But he came after us. He pursued us. He sent his son out of love for us into this world, who, who was the curse that we deserve. James says, every man who doesn't, doesn't keep every commandment or everything written in the book of the law, is cursed. And Christ, when he hung on that cross, took that curse full in total for us, for our sins. And after he paid that price and he paid it in full, his spirit, his spirit, because we are made holy, comes and dwells in the heart of all who believe, united to Christ, his spirit in them, Christ in them, permanently joined to him, union with Christ. I think I think I think that's something that we just just quickly we hear that and we just move on. We, we, we don't we don't stop and pause and just think about what exactly we're saying. You know, yesterday the young adults and me we, we went on a bush walk from the spit to Manly and it was just gorgeous. It was so beautiful. You could see like beautiful trees and like the oceans and the waves and it's just so peaceful and, and the rocks and everything. And there is a God who made every aspect of that beautiful creation. I mean, lift up your hand before your face and look at, look at your hand. I mean, the blood vessels, the ligaments, the tendons, the cells, each and every one of them spun by him. There's a God of this universe who upholds Everything from the tiniest of ants to the stars in the sky. He upholds them and yet is bothered so much about tiny us 
that he would send his son to die and then send his own spirit to dwell permanently in our hearts. I mean, that is massive. And because of this, even though Jesus has ascended into heaven, because his spirit joins us to him, we can see him. J.I. Packer, he, he puts it this way, and I think it's so helpful. He says, I remember walking to a church one winter evening to preach on the words, He shall glorify me. Seeing the building floodlit as I turned a corner and realizing that this was exactly the illustration my message needed. When floodlighting is well done, the floodlights are so placed that you do not see them. You are, in fact, not supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness and to maximize its dignity by throwing all its details into relief so that you see it properly. This perfectly illustrates the Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. So what what J.R. Pack is saying is he's saying, you want to understand the role of the Spirit? It's like a floodlight. It's like a floodlight that shines and goes, boom! There he is! And lights him up and suddenly you can so clearly see that King of Kings standing right there before you, high and lifted up, sovereign over everything, merciful and kind. There he is, lit up in all his detail. That is the work of the Spirit. And because that Spirit dwells in your heart, even though Jesus ascended, you can see him. I just wanted to stop there and address, I think, two types of people sitting in this room. The the first type is those who, when we talk about the work of the Spirit lighting up Christ, you you feel it, honestly. I mean, you're you're aware at the moment of Jesus in you and and walking with you. That's a a present experience. If I I was to share a passage like Romans 8.23, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit going inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know, passages like that that talk about the Spirit actively at work in your life. You're there. You feel that. You experience that. But also I think there's, there's, there's another type of person. And for you, you don't feel the presence of the Spirit in, in your life at all. And in fact, sometimes maybe you wonder whether whether you've ever had that, that spotlighting effect of the Spirit, seeing Christ and, 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 and knowing Him there and, and sensing His presence with you. And I, and I just wanted to just stop and encourage you because I think if you're a Christian, by definition, you have experienced that work of the Spirit. By definition, you have experienced that work of the Spirit because there was a time in your life where Jesus was so real to you, when you saw him and suddenly you saw that he was the king of kings and mighty to save, and you said, yes, Lord, I want to trust you. I put my trust in you. I want to give my life to following you. You are my, my king and savior. You are all I need. Yes, Lord. There was a time in your life that you, that you did that. You gave your life to Christ. And, and that, my friend, is the spotlighting work of the Holy Spirit in you. And I think as a church, we, we need to be acute observers of where Christ is at work. 
Well, the Spirit unites us to Christ so that Christ dwells in us and we can see him. The second point is that the Spirit enables us to love. You read again with me verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I just need to feel the weight of that. I, I feel it because, because so often I feel like, you know, I fail to keep the Lord's commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in this passage, he repeats it another three times. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, that is he who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me, does not keep my word. I just want to make some just qualifying points before we move on. Firstly, let me just say, keeping Christ's commandments is is, is, is an expression of love for him. Keeping Christ's commandments, command-keeping, is not the same as loving Jesus, but an expression of love for him. Think about the Pharisees. Those guys were just awesome command-keepers, but they hated Jesus. They were hypocrites. They're not the same. Command-keeping is an expression of love for Jesus. We express our love for him, just like he does for the Father in verse 31. He says, but I do as my Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. We're not talking about earning our salvation. We're talking about living out a relationship. I mean, think about, think about buying an excellent gift or acting to, to love someone that's precious to you. Think about the times when you've just had this excellent gift. You've, you've been thinking about a gift for someone that you really care about and you know, oh, I've nailed it this time and, and you bring your present to them and you give it and you offer it to them and you're, you're, so, you're so happy about it. You're, you're grinning and, and, um, and, and, and they open it and they're just full of joy, you know. Like giving that gift, did you have to give that person that gift? You know, sometimes I like, I don't know, like buy my mom flowers or something, you know, do, do I have to do that? No, not at all. It's a relationship. But more than that, it's not even that I have to do it. It's a joy to me to do it. I love, I love to do it. I love to, to please someone who I love. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. Command keeping is an expression of our love for Jesus. I think about my mates back down in Wollongong. I mean, all the time they used to say, you know, I had a whole bunch of mates and used to go out drinking like every weekend, getting drunk and all this sort of thing. And they, I used to say, hey, guys, like, what's going on? And they used to say, oh, it's all grace, baby. Like, Jesus paid for my sins. I'm all good. I can just live how I please. You know, what, what are you talking about? And I just feel like that's just a profound misunderstanding of the situation. It's a relationship we're in now with Christ. It's like going to the beach and getting stuck in the swell and you're in a rip and you're drowning and you're drowning and you cry out for help and you go under and just the last time, a last moment, a lifeguard comes and he plucks you and he puts you on his jet ski and he takes you back to the shore and you're unconscious and he's like resuscitating you and you're like vomiting out water and you wake up and you see him and you get up, you turn around and you run back into the beach, into the waves again. Like it's like, that's crazy. You were saved from that. 
like I've saved you, I've plucked you out. What are you doing? And it's just like us and the Lord, you know, like we've been saved from living that way. He saved us into a new life. And yet, and yet, and yet, why would you want to go back and live that way? Command keeping, it's not, it's not, it's not the same as loving Christ, but it's an expression of our love for Christ. Well, I feel like, you know, in a room this big, there's probably people struggling with a whole raft of sins. I imagine there's people here that, you know, struggle with persistently with, with lying, with being dishonest. I imagine in a room this size is probably, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends who are not married but sleeping together. In a room this size, there's probably people struggling with greed. You know, maybe you're, you're earning $1,000 a week and you give to the Lord just $20 a month whole raft of sins but i think there's two types of response to those sins i think the first group you know even hearing me say that you're aware of your sins and you just feel like a deep guilt and remorse and you, you honestly you're struggling you want to change i think for you you're, you're a person who honestly loves christ and you need to repent of those things and you, you need help to change ask for his forgiveness you're someone who loves Christ. But I think there's a second type of person who, when they consider those things, you're aware that there's sins, but you, you don't feel any guilt about it and you have absolutely no desire whatsoever to change. And my question for you is, do you love Christ? I mean, you're probably not a Christian, if that's you. I mean, how can we say that? How can, I, how can I say something as bold as that? The answer is because, because the way we live is an expression of our love for him. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 15 and 16. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he'll give you a helper. So is this like a workspace religion? Like you love me and then I, then I ask my Father and he sends the Spirit to you. Like is that what's happening here? Like it's based on what I do? I want you to skip down with me to verse 21 and we'll read a little bit more. Jesus says again, he says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. So whoever has my commandments and keeps them, that's, that's the person who loves me. And he who loves me, he'll keep my commandments and he will be loved by my Father. And Jesus goes on. And I will love him as well. So he keeps my commandments. Uh, I will love him. My Father will love him. And I will manifest myself to him. But wait, Jesus, wait. Wait, I keep your commandments. That's the person who loves you. And then as a result, you, you, you will be loved by, by my father. I'll be loved by, you, by the father and loved by you. And then you'll manifest yourself to me. But how can I love you if you haven't even manifested yourself to me yet? How can I love you, Jesus, if I don't even know you yet? And the answer to that, I think, is that this is not a chronological 
order of the way in which Christ works. This is not an order of salvation, but this is two sides of the same coin. I love Christ because he loved me first. This passage is in context talking about union with Christ. It's just what we've been looking at. Talking about how the Spirit comes in and makes his home in us. Talking about how we're united to Christ permanently when we trust in him. The Spirit joins us to Christ and works within us. From our perspective, we obey Him out of love for Him. From God's perspective, He sends His Spirit, which works in us and creates desire and love for Christ. Two sides of the same coin. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And the person who loves Jesus keeps his commandments. But also, the person who loves Jesus does so because of the the work of the Spirit in his life. So it's like this it's like this circle of love. I I I Christ sends his spirit into my heart and as a result of his spirit working in my life I love Christ and Christ as a result of that love in my heart reveals more of himself to me manifests himself to me and in response to the manifestation of himself in my life I love him more he reveals more of himself I love him more. You know the overwhelming message of John is not about our love for Christ, but it's about God's love for us. You know, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. John 3.19, people love the darkness rather than the light. John 8.42, if God were your father, Jesus says, you would love me. John 12.43, John writes, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. John 13, 1, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. John 13, 34, which Dave preached on the other week so helpfully, a new commandment, Jesus says, I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. The overwhelming message of John is not our love for God, but his love for us. And by union with Christ, by his spirit working in us, his spirit enables us to love him. We are called to love Christ, but behind that is the work of the spirit. It's like floodlighting 101, isn't it? You know, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, floodlights Jesus, and we see him, and we, we just can't help but be, be moved by it, that merciful king. It's, it's loving other people. It's actually really hard work sometimes. And I'm someone that's not very good at it at all. I mean, there's some people that just are really, really tough to love. I was thinking this week about a friend of mine back in Wollongong. This guy, he he basically was um, taken out of his home uh, for, into adoption by, by docs because of the way he'd been abused by his parents. And he grew up with these adopted parents, parents who adopted him. And this guy, I'm sure partly as a result of the abuse he'd been through, was just a really difficult guy. He was loud, often arrogant, um, and, and most of all, a pathological liar. Could, couldn't trust a thing he would say. I mean, this guy was a hard guy to love. And... and uh, I know that for many of you, you've got people in your lives you know, at the moment that, man, they are challenging to love. 
they are really tough to love. And I'm, I'm not coming from this as someone who's, who's good at this at all. You know, I've been blessed with this uh, amazing job working with Fiona at St. At St. Vincent's Hospital. And um, they offered me three days a week working as a physio. It's brilliant. And because I was looking for more work, they offered me this half day, you know, that I could do a little bit of extra work um, on the side, just, just as a way of generosity, really, just helping me out. But the catch is it's working as a physio's assistant and uh, not as a proper physio. So my main responsibility is cleaning up after the other physios. And, um, and uh, one of the physios uh, who, I've, who I've been working with um, on a couple of occasions has kind of uh, corrected me in front of patients um, for, for things that I've done, not, not things that are wrong, but acting as a physio when I'm actually only paid as a, a physio's assistant. And one day, uh, just the other day, uh, I walk into the lunchroom and I overhear this conversation and I hear my name. I'm like, is everything okay? And um, this physio says, ah, oh, yes, uh, one of the other physios here is needs some lunch. Brendan, um, would you mind just going downstairs and organizing some lunch for her, bring it back up? And, you know, after already having been uh, rebuked in front of a patient, I was just like trying to put on a smile and biting my teeth and... and, and and the, the funny thing was is that the week before, in fact, the day before was Dave's message on Jesus the humble servant washing the feet of his disciples. And I just had such a messed up attitude about it. I remember walking home and just thinking to myself, man, like, what does loving someone like Christ look like in this situation? You know, like, like Jesus washed his disciples' feet and he's the king of the universe and yet I find it hard just to love someone when actually they're probably rightly getting me to do my job. But because I feel like it's lower than me, you know, it's, I'm, a, I'm a physio, not a cleaner. Uh, you know, like, what's that's messed up? And I don't know about you. I mean, maybe you're in a situation where you just, there's someone in your life and you're just finding it hard to love them. But I just want to encourage you, there's hope for that. Because it is the work of the Spirit it's the spirit that enables us to love, that gives us power to love. And, you know, I've seen already in this church examples just this week. I was having a conversation with someone who, who recently lost their job and they were just saying, you know what, I see God's hand in this over it and above it. I know he cares for me. He's in control. That's the, that's the spirit working in that person's life, giving them joy and hope and love in the midst of, of that trial. You know, someone else was saying that they just want to throw themselves in a church, you know, they realize they haven't done that. They want to give themselves more at church. It's like, that's the spirit working in that person's life. We're, and I, I just want to encourage us. We need to be observant of where he's working. You know, if you're, if you're struggling to, to love someone, let me encourage you. The spirit will enable you, enables us to love. And let us also be a church that is acutely observant. Well, lastly, my Last two points, three and four, um, much shorter points. <laughs> Thirdly, the Spirit brings peace. I, I just wonder, have you, have you ever noticed the restlessness in this city? There's like a, this ceaseless desire, people always wanting more, always dissatisfied. You know, there's this, well, this disappointment with how your life's turned out, like that it's not what you thought it would be. I mean, it's so classic in physio, like so many physios, I often hear them say, did I study four years for this? 
just a, a disappointment. And, and the way people respond is often looking for holidays, looking for the next thing that will, that will satisfy, that will, that will fill it. You know, someone this week was saying, you know, I'm just, I just feel bored with the nine-to-five thing. I just, there's got to be more to it than that. Um, well, if that's you and you're aware of that, I just think this passage has so much to say. So let's keep reading um, down verse 25. These things, Jesus says, I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Have you ever wondered like how John remembered and the disciples remembered all this stuff to put in the Bible? Work of the Spirit. He'll bring it to your remembrance. Let's keep going. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace. I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace I give to you, my peace. But not as the world gives you. There's, there's, there's a peace the world offers us that does not satisfy, isn't there? There is a peace that the world is powerless to give. You know, the peace offers you, it's like the world offers you, it's like freedom from war. It's like, have what you desire. It's like the ultimate good, the ultimate way to find peace is whatever it is you want, you should have it. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, just satisfy that desire. That's what we see in all our advertising, all the promotions, everything. It's, you want this, you should desire this, and if you have it, then you will find peace. But in doing so, we deny that there's like anything wrong with the way we're living. We, we, we buy into this way of thinking that says, that says, as long as it's not hurting anyone, as long as I'm fulfilling my desires and it doesn't hurt anyone else, then it's fine. I've got no, no war or problem with God. There's, there's nothing I need reconciliation from. And, and, yet, and yet God says, the message of Scripture says that the Holy God, Yahweh, the Sovereign Lord is your enemy and war is coming. Just like the prophet Jeremiah says in, in 6.13, he says, my people, from the least of them, from the priests to the prophets, everyone is saying, peace and peace. But there is no peace. Judgment's coming. But the message of Christ is, peace I leave with you. Not any peace, my peace I give to you. Christ's peace, peace of reconciliation with God, peace of being once and for all made right with God. You know, I, I, just, I just think when we, when we understand the peace of Christ, that Christ is one for us, we, we, we just care less about the finer details of life, don't we? When, when we see him floodlit, by the Spirit, we see Him clearly in all His splendor. All those other things matter so, so much little, so much less when, when He helps us to, to live this day in light of that day. I just love what Paul says in Philippians 4, 6-7. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, the peace of God, my peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The Spirit floodlights Christ and we experience peace. We 
see the Spirit work in our lives when we experience the peace that we have in Christ. You know, St. Augustine famously says, you have made us for yourselves and we are restless until we find our rest in you. Spirit, work of the Spirit is peace with our maker. Or finally, the Spirit gives new life. Let's go back to the very beginning, right up to verse 12. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. It's crazy, isn't it? Greater works than Christ? I mean, how is that even possible? I mean, how, how can you even do a greater work than raising someone from the dead? Well, we looked at it again, because I'm going to the Father. So there's something about Jesus going back up to the Father that means we're going to be able to do greater works. And in John 16, a couple of chapters over, Jesus says it's necessary for me to go to the Father. Why? So that the Spirit, the Helper, will come and be with you always. So greater works than these will we do, and somehow it's related to the work of the Spirit. Well, what could possibly be greater than the works that Jesus did? And the answer is spiritual new birth. Spiritual new birth. You know, Jesus raised Lazarus and he raised him from the dead. But Lazarus was raised to die again. But the work of the Holy Spirit in and through us in the lives of others is a resurrection that is eternal, a greater work. I just want to read you a, a passage from it's Jesus again in the Gospel of Luke. It's from Luke 27, uh, Luke 7, sorry, verse 26. And Jesus says about John the Baptist, he says, What then did you go out to see, a prophet? Oh, yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This was he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. But I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater as a prophet than he. Did you catch that? The one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Uh, just, just think about the least in the kingdom of God. Think about that. Like, imagine with me the worst Christian in the world. I mean, logically, he's out there, or he or she is out there somewhere. The worst Christian in the whole world. I mean, the laziest, the most self-righteous, the most hopeless, struggling Christian. They're Christian. They're still. Trusting in Christ, but the, the least, the, the worst Christian in the world. And Jesus says, greater than John the Baptist, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament prophets. How is that possible? How is that possible? I think there's, there's two reasons. Firstly, a prophet is someone who carries the word of God, the message of God. 
And we carry a greater message than any of the other prophets ever before because we carry the message not of the one is coming, prepare the way, but he's here. Put your trust in him. We carry the greatest message the world has ever seen, the gospel. Salvation through faith in Jesus and him alone. But also because of the indwelling of Spirit, something that none of the Old Testament prophets, something that no one prior to Christ's resurrection ever experienced. Christ dwelling in us by his spirit. His Holy Spirit works powerfully in us. And we are able to perform greater works even than Christ. Because of His work through us of spiritual new birth. And you know what? It just gives me such hope. Uh, I was at my graduation this this week on Tuesday, and it was it was just a great day. Um, just giving thanks for for what the Lord's been doing in so many people's lives and, and sending people out. But um, my brother and my sister were there, who both don't know the Lord, and. The message, although true, it's just one of those messages where you just, I felt myself like sliding down in my seat, like, ah, I just just want to hide because it's like all of the touch points, which I know just like offend my brother and just get him so angry. And, 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 and I was just thinking to myself, ah, Lord, I just pray that just a spiritual miracle of deafness or, or uh, like, uh, uh, But do you know what? Isn't it great to know of the power of God working through us by His Spirit? That a sovereign God would work through us by His Spirit to bring about spiritual new birth. That there is no heart that's too hard because the work is His. And for me, you know, with my brother and my sister, I just think, you know what? Thank you, Lord. And I just... I just want to trust the way you're working, even even in and through that. You know. The Holy Spirit floodlights Christ through us and brings new life. Well, in closing, Neo in the Matrix was blinded to the true nature of things, wasn't he? And so he needed this to wake up and see things as they really are. And so also for us, we just, we just need to wake up and see true reality. We need to see things as they are, that, that the world is more than physical, that there's a spirit who's actively working in us and in this church. The Holy Spirit, it works to unite us to Christ, enables us to love, it brings us peace, it gives new life. So why don't you just join with me in praying that, that he would help us to see and, and not pass over his work in us and in this church. Lord, I just want to thank you for your kindness to us this morning in speaking to us in and through your word, Lord. Lord, I just pray that there would be not a soul in this room that is spiritually blind to your presence in their life. Lord, I, I pray for each and every person in this room, Lord, whether they're a new Christian, whether they've been walking with you a long time, whether they 
don't know who you are, Lord, and have yet to trust in you, Lord. I just pray that by your spirit, you would cast our eyes on Christ, Lord. Would you flood like Christ in this place this morning, Lord, that we might see him, a king of glory, and put our hope and trust in him. We pray this in his name. Amen.